Chapter Twenty Two of Narrative of My Captivity Among the Sioux Indians by Fanny Kelly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Retrospection A Border Trading Post Garrison Hospitality A Visit from the Commandant of Fort Rice Arrival of My Husband Affecting Scene At first, and some time afterward, at intervals, the effects of my life among the savages preyed upon my mind so as to injure its quiet harmony. I was ill at ease among my new friends, and they told me that my eyes wore a strangely wild expression, like those of a person constantly in dread of some unknown alarm. Once more free and safe among civilized people, I looked back on the horrible past with feelings that defy description. The thought of leaving this mortal tenement on the desert plain for the wolves to devour and the bones to bleach under the summer sun and winter frosts had been painful indeed. Now I knew that if the weary spirit should leave its earthly home, the body would be cared for by kind Christian friends, and tenderly laid beneath the grass and flowers, and my heart rejoiced therein. Hunger and thirst, long days of privation and suffering, had been mine. No friendly voices cheered me on. All was silence and despair. But now the scene had changed, and the all-wise being, who is cognizant of every thought, knew the joy and gratitude of my soul. True, during the last few weeks of my captivity, the Indians had done all in their power for me, all their circumstances and condition would allow, and the women were very kind, but their people were not my people and I was detained a captive, far from home and friends and civilization. With Alexander Selkirk I could say, Better dwell in the midst of alarms than reign in this horrible place. Being young and possessed of great cheerfulness and elasticity of temper, I was enabled to bear trials which seemed almost impossible for human nature to endure and live. Soon after my arrival at the fort, Captain Pell came and invited me to go to a trader's store to obtain a dress for myself. I needed it very much, having no clothing of my own to wear. A kind lady, Mrs. Davis, accompanied me, and the sight that presented itself to my wondering eyes will never be erased from memory. By the doorsteps, on the porches, and everywhere, were groups of hungry Indians of all sizes, and both sexes, claiming to be friendly. Some of them were covered with every conceivable kind of superficial clothing and adornment, and critically wanting in cleanliness, a peculiar trait among the Indians of the Northwest. There was the papoose, half-breeds of any number, a few absolutely nude, others wrapped slightly in bits of calico, a piece of buckskin or fur. Speculators, teamsters, and interpreters mingled with the soldiers of the garrison. Squaws, with their bright, flashing shawls, or red cloth, receiving in their looped-up blanket the various articles of border traffic, such as sugar, rice, flour, and other things, tall warriors bending over the same counter, purchasing tobacco, brass nails, knives, and glass beads, all giving words to thought, and a stranger might well wonder which was the better prototype of tongues. The Cheyennes supplement their words with active and expressive gestures, while the Sioux amply use their tongues as well as their arms and fingers. To all, whether half-breed, Indian, or white man, 
the gentlemanly trader gave kind and patient attention, while himself and clerks seemed ready and capable of talking Sioux, French, or English, just as the case came to hand. It was on the 12th of December when I reached the fort, and like heaven the place appeared after the trials of savage life. The officers and men were like brothers to me, and their tender sympathy united me to them in the strongest bonds of friendship, which not even death can sever. A party and supper was made for my special benefit, and on New Year's morning I was serenaded with cannon. Every attention and kindness was bestowed upon me, and to Dr. John Ball, post-surgeon, I owe a debt of gratitude which mere words can never express. He was my attendant physician during my sojourn at the fort, and, as my physical system had undergone very severe changes, I needed great care. Under his skilful treatment and patient attention, I soon recovered health and strength. I had been severely frozen on the last days of my journey with the Indians toward the fort. Colonel Diamond, from Fort Rice, came to visit me ere I left Fort Sully. He was attended by an escort of 180 men. He told me of his efforts to obtain my release, and that he, with his men, had searched the Indian village for me, but found no warriors there, as they had already taken me to the fort. The Indian women had made him understand by signs that the white woman had gone with the chiefs. He said the Indians were so enraged about giving me up, that they killed three of his men, and scalped them, by orders of the chief Ottawa, who was unable to do any service himself, being a cripple. He bade them bring him the scalps of the white men. An Indian, who had killed one of the men, fell dead in his lodge the same day, which frightened the people not a little, for, in their superstition, they deemed it a visitation of the great spirit for a wrong done. Colonel Diamond did not forget me, neither did he cease in his efforts on my behalf. During all this time no tidings had been received by me of my husband, but one day great commotion was occasioned in the fort by the announcement that the mail ambulance was on the way to the fort, and would reach it in a few moments. An instant after, a soldier approached me, saying, "'Mrs. Kelly, I have news for you. Your husband is in the ambulance.' No person can have even a faint idea of the uncontrollable emotions which swept over me like an avalanche at that important and startling news. But it was not outwardly displayed. The heartstrings were stirred to their utmost depths, but gave no sound. Trembling, quivering in their strong feeling, they told not of the deep grief and joy intermingled there. Mechanically I moved around, awaiting the presence of the beloved, and was soon folded to his breast, where he held me with a grasp as if fearful of my being torn from him again. Not an eye present but was suffused with tears. Soldiers and men, the ladies who had been friends to me, all mingled their tears and prayers. Language fails to describe our meeting. For seven long months we had not beheld each other, and the last time was on the terrible field of slaughter and death his personal appearance, oh, how changed! His face was very pale, and his brown hair was sprinkled with grey. His voice was alone unchanged. He called me by name, and it never sounded so sweet before. His very soul seemed imbued with sadness at our separation, 
and the terrible events which caused it. My first question was concerning my little Mary, for her fate had been veiled in mystery. He gave me an account of her burial, a sad and heart-rending story sufficient to chill the lightest heart, which account comprises the succeeding chapter. End of chapter 22